0: Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to be together this weekend. I hope you're having a great weekend. Well, last weekend we did, we started this new series, and the series is called Things to Fight For. And in this series, what we're doing is we're highlighting some things that not only to us, but even more importantly, things that are so important to God that they're worth the fight. Uh, a mentor of mine uh, years ago, he said this to me. He said, you know, Jeff, there are times in your life where you're going to see something in your life or there's going to be an area of your life that's going to be so important, like for it to go well, and it's going to be so important to God and so important to you. And he said, very rarely will you ever find anything that's really important that's not going to be hard. Very rarely will you, will you just come across or just stumble into something that's really great. And what his message to me was basically was this. He was saying, sometimes you just got to fight for it, right? Sometimes you just got to get in the ring and you've got to fight for things that really, really matter. And so in this series, we're just talking about those things that rise to the top that we say as a church, we say, wow, that's, that's worth the fight. I want to get in the ring on that. So last weekend we began the series and we asked this question. We said, well, what does it mean to fight for marriages? And uh, that applied to really all of us because we're all impacted by marriages. And it was so encouraging this last week to hear from several of you. And in essence, what I heard over and over again was this a statement like this, I needed to hear God's truth. We looked at Ephesians chapter 5, it gave us this kind of a framework, how do we think about marriage? And people said to me, I needed to hear that, I needed to be reminded that I've got to fight for our marriage, that our marriage is worth the fight. And so I just want to encourage you today, um, just knowing some of your stories, some of you came into this place last weekend and you sat down and you prayed and you said, God, we need a breakthrough this morning. God, we need you to come through in a way that only you can. And you prayed a prayer like that, and you asked God, and you listened, and you left here, and you applied the scriptures. And I just want to commend you. um, And I want to encourage you, keep fighting. Marriages aren't good marriages, great marriages aren't made in a week, but we keep going, right? Day after day after day, we say, God, how can we honor you? We stay in the fight. And so I just want to encourage you, relentlessly keep fighting for things that matter most, like your marriage. Um... Just a great job. So encouraging to hear. This weekend we're going to look at a different area of our lives. Another one that rises right to the top. It's one of those that I would say to you, I want you to call me to fight for this and I'm going to call you this morning to fight for it as well. It's one of those areas that you just go, wow, this is so important. If, as a matter of fact, I was thinking this week, if you were to ask me, If I had to name, if I had to put a a name on the thing that I desire most for the people that I love, right, for Brooksideers, but even if you pushed me further from even just our church and you said, Jeff, for your own kids, for your very family... If there was just one thing that would rise to the very top that you would say, yes, this is what I want for my kids more than anything else. I would put this ahead of a successful life, a good career, a spouse of their own, kids of their own. I would put this one thing that we're going to be talking about this morning ahead of it all. And this morning it's this. We're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to fight for a vibrant faith. Well, what does it mean even a vibrant faith? So we're going to have to define that a little bit. What is a vibrant faith? And then we're going to ask the question, why is it so important that we fight for it? And then lastly, we're going to conclude today and we're going to say, okay, so what are some steps? How can I fight for a vibrant and alive faith? Why is it important? What is vibrancy? Why is it important? And then lastly, we're going to say, okay, what are some steps that you and I can take to fight for it? And so before we dive in, would you pray with me? And let's just say, Lord, we come to you again this week, and we just say a matter that is so important to you, we want to give it to you, and we want to say, God, we want to give you our best even in these moments. So yeah, let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, and um, Lord, as we've already prayed, we uh, we do not take the freedoms that we have for granted this morning, and uh, we just thank you. We can, we can assemble as a church in peace this morning, and we're grateful for that. What a blessing, and uh, we're grateful for it. Um, Lord, we say now to you in these next moments, God, we pray as we open your word, Lord, that you would speak to us today. Father, I thank you that, that you know every person, you know every situation, you know every journey in here. And um, Lord, I thank you that you meet us right where we are at, just as we are. And um, so, church, would you even just right now, and maybe it's even kind of a first-time prayer for you, would you just say to the Lord, Lord, would you speak to me this morning? Would you speak to me this morning? And then just say a quick prayer for the people around you and say, Lord, would you speak to them as well? And so go ahead and do that right now on your own. Father, I thank you that every time we say a prayer like that, um, you honor that and that kind of a spirit before you of humility. And so, Lord, that's our posture. And now we just, with expectancy, we say, Lord, not only would you speak to us, but this morning, Lord, would you give us the courage to respond? Would you give us the courage to respond to the things that you would have for us? So we commit this time to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible or if you're going to maybe even just turn there an app, that's fine. You can turn to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. And I want to start there because in Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul, he makes this statement that really launches us into our subject for this morning. It's a powerful statement, but let me set it up this way. You kind of got to know what's going on in the book of Colossians to understand exactly what he's saying. Paul is writing this four-chapter book. He's writing this letter to this church this Epaphras is the leader the pastor of this church and he's writing this letter to them because there's a threat that's come to the church there's a big problem that's that's coming in and it's infiltrating the church and the problem is this there are people that are coming along and they're saying that yes you can have faith in Jesus Christ, and your faith in Jesus Christ, that's great. But they're saying, also, if you're going to be a follower of God, you've got to add certain things to your faith. You've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And, and they're coming up with all these different things that are diluting the fact and the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The purity of what it means for you and I to believe in Jesus Christ, that he's forgiven our sins, that we can have new life in him. They're adding things to that. They're, they're polluting that. And what they're doing is this. They're sidelining this church. This church is going from a place of vibrancy and it's, it's hurting them. It's pulling them away. It's sidelining them from having the kind of faith that you and I would look at and we would go, that's alive. That's the kind of faith that's, that's blessing other people. Now, we can look at the problem that they had in their culture and we can kind of go, yeah, I, I can understand that. But even today, think about us. Think about the world that we live in you and I could very easily come up with a long kind of list where we would say, yes, these are the things that take me away from having a vibrant faith, right? I mean, there are things maybe that come to your mind very quickly, things that keep you away from a relationship with Jesus Christ that you would say, I love it. It's alive. It's feeding my soul. It's a blessing to other people. For some of you, you look directly at your past, and you would say you had a bad church experience, or you would say you got around another Christian And they were a hypocrite or whatever it might be, and it just pushed you away. And so all the time, every time you step towards God, you remember that and you pull back, right? It keeps you away, right? It sidelines you from having a vibrant faith. For others of you, you would say this. You would say, I understand that God allows me to know him in an intimate way. He allows me not to have a stale faith, but to have a relationship with him that's dynamic, where he speaks to me and where, where I interact with him and where he uses my life in a mighty way. You would say, I know that can be true, but I have no idea how to get there. I have no idea. I don't know well, what are the tools that I need. I mean, well, how, what's the journey in order to experience that kind of walk with God? For others of you, you'd say this, it's simply the comforts of life. And you would say, I've just kind of settled in. And I'm just kind of cruising along. Or others, might, you might say, you know what, it's our schedule. Like, I know that any good relationship, particularly a vibrant one, it takes some work and it takes some time. And honestly, we're just busy. Like, our schedule is just packed. And so you would say maybe it's just not been a priority. The Apostle Paul, what he's doing is this, he's reminding these people, he's reminding this church, and he's saying, because of who Jesus Christ is, because Jesus is so incredibly great, he's saying, you would be missing out so dearly if you did not pursue, not a stale faith, don't mess with that, don't just do obedience for obedience sake, he would say, no, 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 don't sign up for that, but he would say, and he would write with passion to them, because he longs for them to have a vibrant faith. And so throughout this first chapter, he paints this picture of who Jesus is. We get to the end of, of chapter 1, and it's, just, it's like Paul gives us his heart. It just, he exposes, hey, this is my motivation. This is why. This is my top desire for you. So he says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. It says, we proclaim him, meaning Jesus Christ. We, we, uh, yeah, he, or sorry, he is the one we proclaim, Jesus Christ. We had, we're admonishing and we're teaching everyone with all wisdom So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And then he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now I want to break this down into two sections for you. And I want us to work through these verses because they launch us into something so beautiful. Here it is, verse 28. So he says, he, talking about Jesus, he's saying, he is the one that we proclaim. Meaning, He's the one that I'm standing in front of people, Paul's saying, and I'm giving it my best. I'm telling people with all I've got. I am proclaiming him. I'm preaching about him. And we're admonishing. To admonish simply means this. If I admonish you, it means that I'm encouraging you, but with a little bit of oomph. Like I'm really wanting you. Oh, please hear this is kind of what an admonishment is. So he's the one we proclaim. We're admonishing. And then it says, and we're teaching. He's saying, we're bringing this to life. That through Jesus Christ you can be forgiven. That through Jesus Christ, you don't have to try to perform your way to God. You don't have to try to get your act and you know fly really straight so that God will accept you. No, he's saying we're teaching you and we're teaching you the truth that you can receive God's grace to you in its perfect form. We're teaching everyone with all wisdom. And then he says this, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature in Christ. Meaning that there's this sense in which I'm no longer an infant on the spiritual front, but I'm mature in Christ. Like I've kind of got my spiritual legs underneath me. But here's the thing that is so true about this text. The Apostle Paul knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that that will not just happen on its own. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you and I know this too. You have to fight for that kind of a faith. You have to fight for a faith that's vibrant. You don't just walk into that, right? Uh, you just don't stumble into a faith that you just go, it is vibrant. It is so alive. I was holding a, a beautiful little baby girl at our small group on, on Thursday night. And, and every time that th- this couple comes, I just grab this baby. It's like baby time. You know, it's awesome. Her name's Hattie. She's this cute little three-month-old. And, and so I'm holding Hattie on Thursday night. And, and this thought never went through my mind as I was holding this little girl. It never had this thought cross my mind. Oh, Hattie, I, just, I never thought, let should just whisper into her ear, you're such a mature Christian. <laughs> like, I didn't even I didn't think that. You know why I didn't think that? Stating the obvious here, right? Because she's an infant. Everything that beautiful little Hattie has is given to her. She's an infant. She, cannot stay, she can't get anything for herself. Everything she has, she needs someone to give to her. Paul is describing something completely different. Paul's describing what it means to, for you and I to have a relationship with Christ where it's us and him, where this, the church is an encouragement and, and it's a place where we get fired up and it's a place where we get sent out on mission. But what Paul is describing and what he's saying that you should fight for and that I should fight for is that very personally that my faith is alive, that it's life-giving to me. That it's life-giving to other people who are around me. And so he's describing what does it mean to grow up to be fully mature in Christ. What does that look like? You know, our mission as a church is very simple. It's that we're to help people find and follow Jesus. Very simple. And so what Paul is talking about, though, is this. After a person finds Christ, after they come to know Christ, he's saying, what does it look like for them to follow Christ all the way to this point where everyone is fully mature in Christ? Where we would look out in our church and we would say, fully mature in Christ. Yeah, oh man, they're on the track. They are, they are pursuing God and their relationship with God is not stale. It's vibrant and they're becoming fully mature in Christ. That's what he's describing. Let me ask you this. Can, maybe you can relate to this. I think probably many of you can. So up here on this just a little graph here, I want to put, this is, let this represent vibrancy on this axis. And then over here. Let this represent time. See if you can relate to this. When you come to know Christ, many people—let's just say that happens right there. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, and and um and and but you probably even remember if that's true of you, you remember the day when your faith really became your own faith, right? Usually, what happens then is you go through a very vibrant time, right? You 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 really you sense God's presence, and and boy, you're taking risks for God, and 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 your faith is just alive to you. It's fresh to you. It's like God is just just so alive in your in in your life but what happens oftentimes is this we go through this this period of vibrancy but then as time goes on sometimes this happens i think maybe often we can kind of plateau out and and maybe there are some spikes along the way but we can kind of plateau out here's what paul is talking about he's saying well how do you get to this place where if if you're right here how do you keep going how do you get to the place if you're here how do you get to there How do you go to a place over the course of years where you would look back and you would say that this is true of you? Over the years, your faith did not stay here. It did not grow stale. It didn't get boring. It wasn't dutiful. But you would say, wow, my faith is vibrant. I want to live here. Because I know the joy of living there. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want everyone to live there. So he says this then in verse 29. He says, to this end, to this end, right here, I want people to live with vibrant faith. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I strenuously contend. I love that word, contend. If you look up the word competitor, it's a lot like a contender. But a contender is actually another step above a a, a competitor. The dictionary actually defines a contender like this. It says there's a, it's a slightly different meaning than a competitor. It says, often implying a more vigorous, even a, I love this language, even a scrappier sense of taking on every unexpected challenge. Paul is saying, I strenuously contend. I'm going to scrap for it. I, it is so important. I'll do anything I can for it. Now, if you watch the NBA finals this week and you look at this guy, you look at LeBron James or... Actually, if you look at any of these top basketball players on these two teams the next several nights, you know what you're going to find? These guys are way beyond competitors. These guys are contenders. These guys are at another level where they're saying, we'll put it all on the line in order to win. The Apostle Paul is saying this. He's saying to have a vibrant faith to live here. He's saying, I would give everything for the people in the wake of my life to experience that because it's so so good I want to fight for that a couple years ago I was doing a funeral for a family not a Brookside family but I had a connection a relationship with with the the son of this father who had passed away and so I was doing their funeral and I, I before the funeral I was meeting with the family and I remember sitting at their kitchen table and my goal that night was one to plan the service but I also wanted to be able to leave there and feel like I knew a little bit about their dad who had passed away And so there we were at his mom's house and uh, sitting around the table and we're talking about the service and we kind of got that figured out. and, And then I began to learn about this man. I learned about his hobbies. I learned about his career. I learned about how he treated his grandkids. I learned about what his wife said about him. And it was so interesting. Whenever she would speak, everyone in the room would be just all eyes on her. They wanted to hear what she had to say because she knew him the best. It was really a cool thing. Well, a couple of days later I do the funeral. I get home from the funeral and Christina said to me, She said, Well, how did how did it go? And I said, I just it was okay. And truth be told, I was saying it was just it was just okay. Because I left that funeral, I left that graveside, I got in my car, and I was so bummed out. I mean, God just broke it's a defining moment. God just broke my heart, not only for this guy, but I was so bummed out for this family. And this is why. This was a good man. I mean, you would have looked at his life and you would have said, man, he's a provider. Boy, he was a good husband. He seemed like a good dad. All these things. He had a great career. He was a religious guy. But I got in my car and because it was just so evident. I think anyone would have said this about this guy. He didn't have a vibrant faith. He had never really connected with the God that loved him. And I just as I was driving away, I was thinking to myself, that's a man that lived a very honoring life but he never got to experience this. He never got to experience what's it like to know and to walk with your God. What's it like to know him so intimately and so personally that I look at you and I say, wow, you are, you are really communing with the God that loves you. Wow, God is really in your life. God is really speaking to you. And I tell you what, it just left me with this feeling in my gut that helps me understand why the Apostle Paul was saying, I strenuously contend. Like, I will scrap for this. I will do everything I can, he was saying, so that people in, my, in the wake of my life, that they don't live stagnant. They don't do church just to do church out of to clear the conscience or for the kids or whatever. No, Paul was saying that there's something so much greater that you can truly know the God who loves you. He says, I contend for that. Brookside our mission our goals at church is we look at kids and we say we want to do everything we can to pour into the lives of the next generation so that they'll have a vibrant faith then we look at adults and we say yes we want to do everything that we can we want to create places and environments where adults will go okay I can truly have a a, a relationship with God that is absolutely alive we want to give our best to that over and over again. That's our mission. That's the core purpose behind everything that we do. Because, and we, Paul, the apostle Paul would say, yes, yes, yes. Because that's what God made us for. God did not make you to know you distantly. He knows everything about you. He loves you. And he longs to live in relationship with you. And so here's the first question I want to answer this morning. Here it is. What does vibrant faith not look like? Like if you were to say to me, yes, I want to pursue that. I've been here. Maybe I'm not even on this chart. But I want to pursue that. I want to have a, a vibrant faith. What does it not look like? And for some of you, this truth, when you realize this, this was kind of a mind blower to you. And it opened up a whole new world to you. And it, it, you kind of saw God in a whole totally different light. Jesus said this in Matthew 23. He said, woe to you. Like, not a good thing. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. He said, you hypocrites. Maybe you know a hypocrite. You know what that's like. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. And then he said, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean also. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying this, your religion is killing your faith. The fact that you consider yourself all right with God because you're so tidy and you fly so straight and and in essence what you're doing is you're trying to earn your way all of that and God is and Jesus is saying this he's saying no if you would just take care of your heart the rest would follow a vibrant faith it begins at this place it begins at the center of who you are it begins at the heart level you know when it comes to us I believe experiencing this kind of thing the full extent the vibrancy of faith I think sometimes we can have an idea that is right down here when God says, no, the kind of relationship that I envision for you and I is clear up here. It is, it is that good. I love how this brilliant writer and thinker, C.S. Lewis, he, I love how he said this. Try to picture this in your mind. He's kind of he's painting this image of sometimes we think that the image of vibrant faith is right here, but God says, no, no, it's clear up here. So C.S. Lewis says, like an ignorant child, he said, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, picture that, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says, we are far too easily pleased. This is the idea of vibrant faith. It's not just the mud pies in the slum. No, Jesus is saying to us, there is a faith, there is a relationship with me that is so much more. So I want to take you now, I want to take you actually out of the New Testament, I want to take you into the Old Testament, because I want you to see an example. I want you to see a picture of vibrant faith. I want you to see, well, what does it look like? Like if I live here, if I have that kind of faith, how does it show itself? Like what, what does it look like? And so I want to take you to 2 Kings chapter 22, and let me give you kind of the setup, the 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 basic scene is this, the people of God, Israel, God's chosen people, they've neglected him. And maybe you can relate to that. They've strayed away from God and they've kind of given God the hand and you could say that that God's ways or even particularly God's words are foreign to them, like they've forgotten about them. Not even just mentally, but even physically. The book of the law is missing. They can't find it. So they're rebuilding the temple, and the book of the law is found. And when it's found, they take it to the king, this man named Josiah. And when they take it to the king, they begin to read it to him. And I want you to see how this people of God who had strayed, I want you to see what did their leader do to take them from a place of stagnant faith, or no faith at all, to a place of vibrancy. It says this in 2 Kings Chapter 22, verse 11, it says, when the king heard this, so when he heard this book of the law being read before him, it says, when he heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Now, if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, you know, that was a big deal. What he was basically symbolizing was, I am cut to the heart like my heart has just been broken over the things that I have heard in essence my faith has gone from being stagnant or wherever Josiah's faith was at that point to relit like I'm on the track now to vibrancy notice what the lord says to that kind of a heart it says this next verse it says then he says it says tell the king of judah This is how the Lord responds to him who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Josiah, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people... He said that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because, here it is, you tore your robes and you wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. The Lord is, in essence, he's saying, I've seen the fact that your heart is broken. It began in your heart, Josiah, and I'm not absent from that. I've seen how you've come before me in humility, and I get that, and I'm responding to that. The first step to a vibrant faith is a heart condition. And right away, Josiah, when he hears the word of the Lord presented to him, it breaks his heart. If you and I want to go from here to up here, we've got to ask ourselves the question, where's our heart at? Keep going in the text. Look with me at verse uh, uh, 4 of chapter 23. It says this. It says, then the king ordered. So now we've got this heart change, and we're going to see what does it lead to? Again, what's the picture? What does vibrant faith look like? Here's some actions it leads to in his time. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, uh, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles uh, for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley, and he took ashes to Bethel. What he's doing is he's taking things out. He's saying, okay, we've got all these things in our midst that are idol worship. We've got all these distractions. We've got all these things that are taking us away from a place of vibrant faith. And he's saying, we've got to get those out of here. We've got to. He goes on, verse 6. It says, he took the Asherah pole. Imagine this, imagine like a telephone pole, that big. And, it's, and they're worshiping it. They're asking it. Oh, do this for us. And they're bringing things to it. Why? Because it was an idol and they wanted to see outcomes. And so they're worshiping. So what does he do? He takes action. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside of Jerusalem, and he burned it there. And then verse 10, we see this, he keeps going. It says that he desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or their daughter in the fire of Molech. These people are doing crazy things. But at the core of what they're doing is this, they're worshiping idols, They've got things in their midst that are keeping them from God. Here's the question. Ask yourself this. Is there anything in your life that you would say is keeping you from a vibrant faith? Because don't make light of what Josiah is doing here. This had such significance. If you would have been there and you would have seen this this play out, if you would have seen Josiah cutting these poles down, you would have seen him cleaning out the temple, the people of God would have been saying in his culture, what is he doing? But what he was doing was he was saying, we can't let anything get in the way of us and us worshiping the one true God. And so he was willing to dispose of it. Let me ask you, is there anything that you would say, this is what this is kind of keeping me playing with mud in a slum when God is describing a vacation at the sea? Is there anything in your life, maybe it's a secret sin, maybe it's a relationship, I don't know, whatever it is for you. But is there anything that you would just say, yeah, if I'm here plateaued or cleared out wherever, I would have to deal with that in order to see my relationship with Christ grow. I would have to take that to God and say, God, would you deal with with this? Josiah, what he's doing is he's cleaning house. Why? Because of this vibrancy for faith he's wanting these people to experience the fullness of what God would have for them and when he heard the word of the lord spoken it cut him to the heart to the very core of who he is verse 25 then says this about them what unique what unique verses these are it says neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the lord as he did with all of his heart And with all of his soul and with all of his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. There's not been a king like him. What did he do? He turned to the Lord. He said, Lord, the very core of who I am, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you all of my soul. Why? Because I want to have a vibrant faith. God, I don't want anything to stand between you and me. I want our relationship to actually flourish. I want to close this way, I want to kind of try to tie this together because our third question is this, if I'm here, how do I get to here? Like very practically, I mean, it's great to hear that story and be inspired by that and go, Josiah, what a bold guy, I'm so glad he did that. But it's another thing, isn't it, to look at your life and my life and to say, okay, if I want a vibrant faith, how do I get there? What are the actual steps? And so I want to leave you just with five things, okay, five things Maybe as, you, as we go through these, just ask yourself and just open yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, which one do you want me to take away today? Lord, is there one that this one was for me? So here we go. Here's the first one. There it is. Remember, it's never too late. You know, for some of you, you have lived here, plateaued in your faith, and you would say maybe it's gotten a little stale, maybe it's gotten a little boring, maybe it's gotten a little dutiful, all that kind of stuff. But for some of you, you would say you've been here maybe for a, a year Maybe it's been five years. Maybe for some of you you'd say, it's been decades. Let me encourage you with this. There's a a, a 60 plus old woman in my life right now. And she lived a very religious life for decades. Decades. Wonderful woman. But in the last couple of years, her faith is becoming vibrant. And you know why it is? She's leaning into God. She's saying, I don't want Just a stale faith. I just don't want to do things just out of due. I don't want to be a part of that. She's saying, I believe that, God, you are real. And so she's pressing in. And you know what she's finding? She's finding that to be true. God honors that. And not only that, but other people in her life are noticing, wow, you're not only just a wonderful person, you always have been, but God is doing something unique in you. Remember this morning, if that's for you today... It's never too late. Number two, here it is. Here it is. It starts in a chair. Starts in a chair. And here's what I mean by this very simply. I guarantee you this. And I would just ask, just if you would just trust me on this one thing. If you would pick a chair in your house, any chair that you like, or in your office or wherever, and you would just say this, God, I'm going to give you 15 minutes. God, for 15 minutes, I'm going to say to you, I want to meet with you. And God, I just I trust that you will meet with me, and I want to encourage you. What if you did that consistently, even just for the next week? You know, there's a reason why we've been talking a lot about these 365 plans, and you can even grab us a reading plan. You can grab one of these on the way out. Here's why we talk about them all the time. It's this. If you will open up God's word, and you will open it up with the kind of heart that says, Lord, I want to hear from you. I promise you this, maybe even if you've never done this before, God will speak to you and you will begin to see, okay, God, you are alive. God, you had a word for me. It was so helpful. And so I want to encourage you with that. You can even go on Twitter and there's a way you can connect with what we're doing on that and, and you can just get the audio sent to you. You know what I do almost every day? I open up to the scripture of the day. I sit there. I hit play on my phone. I listen to it being read and as it's being read, I just make little marks and go, oh, Maybe that's the thing that the Lord had for me today. And I just can't tell you what a simple practice like that can do for your faith. You know who did this well? Josiah. What did King Josiah do? The word of the law was spoken to him and it just rocked his heart. It begins, I think, with you picking a time. I love this, Isaiah 66 verse 2. It says this, These are the ones that I look on with favor. This is the Lord speaking. He says, those who are humble and they're contrite in spirit, and this is the key, they tremble at my word. Meaning this, they go before me and they want to hear from me. It's kind of like when we started this morning, we said that very simple prayer, Lord, would you speak to me? God, always, I believe, will honor that if your heart's right. And when you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm open to you this morning or this evening or whenever you do that. And I would encourage you, let me just challenge you on this. For, for seven days, would you do this? Would you physically, before you read, would you open your palms, like turn your palms up to heaven like that and just say a simple prayer and say, Lord, would you speak to me now in these moments? Lord, I'm here, I'm listening, and I want to have a vibrant faith. Speak to me now. And I, just, I would just encourage you with that and just say, God will meet you in that place. Number three, here it is. Don't go at it alone. Don't go at it alone. I asked a bunch of different people this week. I said, hey, how, have you, how are you experiencing a vibrant faith? Like, like how? I mean, I want to give the church tools. I want people to be able to walk out and go, I can continue in my journey with Christ, not in a stale way, but in a vibrant way. And you know what I heard over and over again? People said things like this. They said, I got in a small group. Now, There's nothing magical about sitting in a living room with a group of people. But I tell you, this is where it gets really helpful. When that group of people and when that group is led well and that group of people are all shooting for the same thing, it is so helpful. Don't go at it alone. In August, you're going to be able to get in a group. We'll open up all of our groups. We'll have a bunch of new groups starting. And I just want to encourage you because this is our goal. Our goal is that everyone in this church would be in a small group. Not because it's an extra thing to do. But we would say we prioritize getting in a small group because I want to be around people that are going the same place that I am. Maybe you've never made that a priority. Maybe that's your one today. You just say, in the fall, we're going to prioritize that again. we got to get that going. Number four, here it is. Put in the work. Put in the work. Don't kid yourself for a minute, church. A vibrant faith will not happen on accident. You will never stumble into godliness. You will never wake up one day lazy and tired and just say, wow, I am so godly today. Like, it just, I wish it would. Like, wouldn't that be cool if we all woke up tomorrow and we're like saints? Like, that would be great, right? But it it just doesn't happen, does it? You got to put in the work. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. He put it like this. He said, run in such a way to get the prize. He said, everyone who competes in the games, they go into strict training. I don't know about you, but whenever I've trained for something, I'm sore. It hurts me. He says, though we do it to get a crown, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Verse 26. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone who's running aimlessly. I'm not just doing this for nothing. I'm putting in the work. He says, I don't fight like a boxer who's just beating the air. Here I go. No. He says, I get in the ring. I strike a blow to my body. I fight for it to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified from the prize. Paul is just, again, he's strenuously contending. He's going into strict training. Why? Because he knows this. you got to put in the work. You cannot work for your salvation. Let's be real clear. You are right with God because of his grace. When you receive, when you believe in what he's done for you on the cross and you put your faith in him and you say, I want to do life with you, Lord, as you being like in charge of my life for now and for all of eternity, that's total grace. But like any good relationship, when that relationship begins, we gotta put in the work. We gotta say, you know what, this is important to me. Paul put in the work. And the last one is this. Here it is. Get in the rapids. I'm going to show you two pictures on this one. Ask yourself this question. Which picture best describes your faith? A stale pond? Or these cats that are like, yeah, this is so fun. I want to encourage you on this. If you want a vibrant faith, you got to get over here. You've got to get in the flow that you just say, you know what, I'm going to step into even maybe an area of risk. I'm going to put myself out there. Have you ever noticed that when you're in a, in a position that's not very comfortable, that oftentimes your faith becomes a lot more vibrant? Sometimes that comes through a trial. Sometimes that comes through just a challenge. A couple of weeks ago in our small group, one of the guys said this. He said, hey, by next week, he said, I think we should challenge each other. We should all have shared our faith by the time we get here next week. A lot of us guys were like, Next week, uh, how about two weeks? You know, and we're just kind of thinking about that. And you know what that does, though? That puts you out there, right? Like that helps you. You see people differently, all of that. There's a seven-year-old in our church, and he was planning his birthday party recently. And he said to his mom, he said, you know, I want to invite my entire class from school. He said, I don't want to invite my church friends on this one. I, invite, I want to invite just, my, my, just the kids from school he said, and so we'll get him out to the house and we'll have him there. And, and he said, before we do like cake and ice cream and all of that, he said, I want us to, to act out the crucifixion. So then he started talking about his brother. And he said, we'll make a cross, a wood cross, his little brother. And he said, and we'll put him on the cross. Yeah, how convenient, you know, put your little brother on the cross, you know. Um, and he said, so we'll put him on that and, and we'll, we'll help people understand the crucifixion. We'll help them understand. We'll act the whole thing out. And they'll know exactly the magnitude, exactly what Jesus did for them. And then he said, I love this. And he said, then, Dad, if you could take them out on on the boat and you just keep driving around and around and you play worship music and just keep going until they all put their faith in Christ. (laughs) I'm like, that's a plan. Like, boom, right? But you know what I loved about that whole thing, that whole story? You know what I loved about it? That kid wants to get in the, in the rapids. That kid is saying, you know what, I could invite the people to my party that would bring me the best gifts or, what, or just whatever would be easiest. But there's some purpose there, isn't there? Are you doing anything in, in your faith right now? Is your faith pushing you in any way that it's uncomfortable for you? Like it's, it's pushing you in a way that you're going, I would have never done this had I not really been connected to the Lord. Is there anything in your life where you would say that? If you'll do that, if you'll get into the rapids, here's what will happen. I think maybe more than anything else, you'll see that it's going to lead you to vibrant faith because you're going to need this to direct you when you step out of your comfort zone, right? And so are you doing anything that's pushing you in that way? Brookside, what if it was said of you? What if it was said of me? Oh, his faith is so vibrant. What if it was said, oh, man, when I'm around her, I just sense that I'm with God. Because why? Because she's just doing life with God, and God is so working through her life. Imagine if that was true of us. Imagine if we went from, we said, you know what, no more plateau. Let's get to a point where our faith is vibrant because that's where the joy is. I want to live here. But church, we've got to fight for it, right? We've got to fight for it. So let's pray together. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And Father, thank you for your church. Um, Lord, I just pray, just thinking about those five things. And Lord, I pray for the person that this morning, they need to hear more than anything. It's not too late. It's just not too late. And so Lord, might they even renew this morning and say, Lord, I, I want to pursue you. I'm going to fight for this. I don't want a stale, a stagnant, a, um, a just what, where I'm punching a clock with you, Lord. I want this to be real. Or maybe for you, it's, it's that 15 minutes a day. I bet you that's for a lot of us here today, where you would just say, you know what? The step, the, the tool that I need to grab is this. I need to sit down and just say, Lord, I just want to hear from you. How else can I go through my life if you don't direct me? Or maybe it's that you want to step into a place where you'd say, this is the risk that God has for me. This is the place of comfortable that I've been living in. But God, you call me to something that is so much greater. Lord, in every situation, we just say today, Lord, we want a vibrant faith. We want a faith that is alive and that other people benefit so much from. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's stand and worship together.